0: A quick introduction for those of you who haven't listened to the podcast before. I'm Daniel, and each week I bring you a conversation with someone who I think is inspirational or bring something inspiring to the podcast. It's about things that change or could change our lives, and that's why I called it Life Changes You. Listen to the range of topics around psychology, mental health, and inspiration, and find out how life changes you. Hello and welcome to Life Changes You. I'm Daniel. I hope you've had another great week. We all seem to have great weeks at the moment, which is really positive. Today, my guest is all the way from the USA and I think New York, but I might be wrong. He'll let us know in a minute, but he has written two books, is a celebrity happiness coach, a speaker and a positive psychology expert. So would you please help me welcome Rob Mack? Hello, Rob. How are you? Hello,
1: Daniel. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I did live in New York for a little while, so that's true. Uh, I live in Miami and L.A. now. I split my time between the two cities. But uh, yeah,
0: all the way from the United States here. Wow. Well, it's so good that you could come on and thank you so much. You know, like I I always send things out to people and say, hey, would you like to come on? And I must admit, I've only had two that have said no. But when, when you said yes, I was really excited because I'd seen your books. I hadn't read them. But then as I said to you before we came on, I read your Happiness from the Inside Out last week and I absolutely loved it. It's a really easy read and there's so much in there that could help people, isn't there?
1: Oh, I appreciate that more than you can possibly know, truly. You know, I, when I wrote that book, I really wrote it for myself, and I never imagined anybody else would ever want to read it, <laughs> 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 let know that they would actually follow through and, you know, execute against reading it. So uh, thank you so
0: much. It means the world to me that you say that. Uh, look, it, it was really easy to read, really easy to understand. And I love how you incorporate your story and your background into everything you put forward. There's some brilliant chapters in there. And I think anybody who is feeling like they're not particularly happy or they want to be happier, reading your book will give them sense and direction of where where they can be by just doing the simple things you offer up. You know, it's not like a textbook where, all right, I need to write this down and that down and oh, can I remember that? It's so easy to follow what you're talking about.
1: Oh, that was the idea. You know, I mean, I think it helps a lot that in writing the book, I was really just sharing what had worked for me. And so I wanted to keep it as simple and as practical and tactical and relatable as possible. Um, So you sharing that is confirmation that I and the fantastic team we had uh, did a pretty good job of keeping it simple and keeping it
0: uh, relatable and, and, and useful. All right. Well, do you want to give me a little bit of background about yourself? I mean, I know now because I've read your book, but for those who are listening to, to know where you came from, what you've done and why you got to where you are now. For sure. So
1: I, you know, I'm know, happiness coach, as you mentioned, but I am in some ways the unlikeliest person in the world to be a happiness coach because I was so unhappy for so long. I mean, I was convinced that I would be unhappy and depressed for my whole life. You know, I remember being stressed out and anxious and self-loathing from a very early age. My first memories at six or seven years of age were being, just remembered being depressed and uh, self-hating and uh, so anxious. And I always thought I'd grow out of it, Daniel. You know, you think that eventually you'll get some friends, maybe I'll make some friends and maybe I'll do well in school, hopefully, and I'll do well athletically. I want to be a professional basketball player. Maybe I'll accomplish this dream I had of being in the NBA. Yeah, You know, most of those things happened. The NBA thing didn't happen, but everything else <laughs> happened. And I eventually made good money and I had a good consulting job. And I had a you know wonderful girlfriend and I had some friends and I had health. And I just kept getting more and more depressed as a result of it all. Wow. And it was quite perplexing to me. I didn't and couldn't make a whole lot of sense out of it. I got so bad and so depressed that I eventually decided I was going to do something about it. So I went online, did some research, and I decided I was going to slash my wrist. Yeah, I went to the kitchen. I got a kitchen knife and, uh, you know, just dug into my wrist. And strangely enough, this is not what you expect to happen when you're digging a knife into your wrist in an effort to kill yourself. I felt such inexplicable peace and uh, ineffable love and deep sense of joy, uh, the kind that I had never experienced before. So at that time, I decided I was going to postpone the suicide for like a couple of minutes. <laughs> it wasn't very long, you know, and I wasn't even committed to that. Honestly, I was like, oh, who knows, maybe I'll make it 10 seconds or 30 seconds. I'm over this life. Yeah. But when I had experience, it kind of shifted my perspective. And so from then forward, I began doing a different kind of research. I began looking up what happiness was, what unhappiness was, what depression was. And I began a journey down a path where I tried to understand what I had experienced when I had experienced this peace, love and joy uh, in this moment. Um, But then I also just discovered an entire body of research out there, a field called positive psychology eventually. And my life sort of changed. It didn't change all at once. It was like two steps forward and a thousand steps back. It felt like every day. Um, But slowly but surely I sort of dug myself out of this deep, dark, depressing hole. And now I look back a few decades later and I'm here talking to you about the whole experience uh and uh, it's pretty wild
0: well look do you do you know what was causing you to feel that unhappiness so young was, was there something that was going on in your life at that time yeah. that that triggered that yes so there's a couple of answers to that so the root cause
1: was and is an over analytical mind it was an obsessively compulsively thinking analyzing yeah. ruminating mind yeah by far okay now that manifested in lots of ways. Um, it manifested as perfectionism for me. It uh, manifested, as I said, as self-rumination. I also think, you know, interestingly enough, there was insight and maybe even some wisdom buried in there too. And that insight and wisdom pointed to this truth that nothing and nobody in your life or in anybody's life or in the world will ever, can ever make you lastingly, meaningfully and abidingly happy. Like there was there was a recognition of that at a very young age, I think, and I think we all have that recognition on some level, but I wasn't able to really fully embrace it or understand it or process it or integrate it or apply it to my life. Um, it just manifested as perfectionism and I was very self-conscientious, I was very self-loathing. you know, I just hated everything about myself.
0: I was very um, high achieving, yeah. and so nothing was ever good enough. Look, I think, as you said, with perfectionism, I mean, that's really hard, isn't it, when everything needs to be perfect and you know, you don't want to make any mistakes. You, you want to make sure that everything you do is right. It's quite hard to turn yourself around from that. And, and a lot of people become sociopaths because that's all they want to do. That's their life. Everything has to be perfect. But when you learn to give things a little bit and go, look, that's that's the best I can do today, you know, then you can start moving forward and realizing that, look, what you're doing that is the best you can do today is actually really good anyway. It doesn't have to be that perfect thing.
1: Oh, isn't that the truth? I just love what you said there. It's so profound. You know, I worked as a spiritual counselor in the addiction world for a while. Yeah. Okay? And there's an expression there that most of us are probably familiar with on some level, which is your best thinking got you here. Your best thinking got you to the addiction, right? Your best thinking got you to a place where you're depressed or suicidal, in my case. And so there's a realization there uh, that you're pointing to or highlighting. In what you shared earlier, which is that I had this epiphany that if perfectionism and being excellent or striving for what I thought was excellence, which was really perfection, is making me this miserable and this unhappy, uh, so much so that I want to take my own life, I should probably revisit (laughs) what I think about perfectionism and how I'm approaching my life and how I'm approaching my work and you know if my best work and my best effort and my best thinking is making me this miserable maybe i should take an entirely different approach to my life and work and so it was letting go of that perfectionism and redefining what it meant to be successful that helped me turn the corner on a lot of this unhappiness
0: yeah and look you're so right because the more you strive i guess for perfectionism the more it's not going to be achievable and you're going to end up in a loop of never being able to achieve what you think is perfect. So the more you try and achieve that, the further away it gets. And in the end, your anxiety increases because why can't I get to where I want to get to? And also you start getting depressed because, well, it's just not working. Why can't I get it to work? Oh, So good, Daniel. Yeah, it's like chasing the horizon, brother.
1: It's like chasing the horizon. Yeah, you can never get there. No, you know, whether you're a beggar or the king, whether you're in your yacht or your little canoe, doesn't matter how fast or how slow you paddle towards the horizon, you never actually get there. Mm -hmm. And that's precisely the case with perfectionism, because the same, the next project should be or will be better than this project, that same future-oriented thinking you take with you into the future. And so you continue to project perfection into the future, to some yeah. future moment. And so it just continues um, ad infinitum. So you're absolutely right about that. Perfectionism uh, can be a real challenge and problem for so many of us. And it's a real opportunity because once you discover that even when you have these small glimpses of perfection and you realize that they don't make you happy, that you don't feel better for it, you actually feel a little bit of relief real quickly. You get the A plus on the test, you know, you win the award or the trophy. You feel a little bit of relief, maybe some pleasure for a few hot moments. And then suddenly you're like, oh, no, I've got to do
0: that again, or I've got to do it even better next time. Yeah. And so it just snowballs. Yeah, it's almost like you're moving your own goalposts all the time, but you're moving them to a point that you're never going to get to, like you say, on the horizon. And I think also what you said there about opportunity, you know, in everything we do, whether we make a mistake, whether something doesn't work out, if we give ourselves the time to sit back and reflect on what we've just done, I don't know, it could be a job and you didn't get the job. If we sit back and reflect on that, then we can actually find that there's opportunities inside that that we never thought of. But when it first happens, it can be the end of the world. Oh, my God, I wanted that job. Oh, it's awful. You know, I'm so useless. I'm so stupid. But then when you sit back and look at it, you can go, well, actually, they gave me three examples of what I was good at. And actually, if I build on those, my next job interview is going to be so much better.
1: Oh, isn't that the truth? You know, there's so, wow, there's just so wealth of wisdom there and what you shared. We're not here to create a perfect life, right? Or to find a perfect life. We're here to discover the perfection that exists within each present moment already. And so to your point, one of the things I discovered along the way was that I was often wrong about what I thought would bring me happiness. And what would bring me unhappiness sometimes the worst thing would happen i would like please pray i'd try to pray it away and you know intend it away and it would never go away and then it happened and then i'd find later oh my goodness that was precisely what i needed at that point in time to grow or become more aware or to love myself more to love others more whatever it was and in other cases you know you try so hard to make something happen something good and maybe it does happen, and then you realize, oh my goodness, I should have never tried so hard to make this thing happen, this relationship or this job, and it's just bringing me so much misery and so much <laughs> suffering and pain, right? So I think part of the recognition there is that you're right, that no experience, person, place, or thing is perfect. And yet every experience, person, place, and thing has some level or degree of perfection sort of hidden within it, meaning there's something... Uh, worthwhile. There's something rich. There's some opportunity there. There's something of value there, something salvageable and all of that. And if you can sort of mine for whatever it is in the present moment that you can get out of it, you find that very quickly, not only are you enjoying your life so much more, but as you relax these ridiculous standards that you have, these impossible standards that you have around what people should be, what you should be, what life should be, you also find that you're doing a lot better as well. So you feel better and as a result of feeling better, you do better, and life goes better. And we have lots of resources to support that. If you can just find a way to relax a little bit, and not stress out, and just chill out a little bit more, you feel better. And as a result of feeling better, you live longer, you make more money, you have better relationships, people like you more, you like other people more. You know, you're healthier. You experience more flow state. So yes, um, in every way, when you relax and let go of these impossible standards that we all impose upon ourselves and others, we find that life becomes so much richer and so much happier.
0: And that's what I really liked in your book was what you've just said there, is that the more happy you become, the easier things become, the happier you become, your relationships become better. Because I just, look, I'm going to give you a small example, and I'm not going to make it big because people who listen to the podcast would have heard this story a million times. But I got fibromyalgia 15 years ago, and so I have pain every day, tiredness, all that sort of stuff. So four years ago, I was out of work. I went for a new job uh, and I didn't get it. I went for the next job. I didn't get it. I went for the next job. I didn't get it. And all of them said to me, you're overqualified for the position you're going for. Now, what happened at the time was I was miserable. I can't get a job. I've got fibromyalgia. My fibromyalgia got worse. But now when I look back, that was the catalyst that made me think about the the business I run now with my business partner, which is so much better than any job I could have ever done. I get results every day with the people I interact with. I love what I do and coming to work makes me happy every day. You know, I've just had a week off and some days I woke up going, what am I going to do today? You know, whereas when I go to work, I'm like, oh, I'm going to work, you know. And I know a lot of people won't, won't like that or will think that's a bit ridiculous, but I love my job. It's the same with podcasting. I love doing the podcast. I love speaking to people like yourself. And I learn so much from all these different interactions. But if I'd have believed what these people had said to me, well, they were saying I was overqualified, but at the time being sick as well, I thought, look, I just need a job. Now, looking back, that was the greatest thing that could have happened because it changed my direction. It changed how I thought. And I had a conversation with one of the women who said, oh, you know, you'll leave and then we won't have you anymore because you'll go on to something better. And she rang up and asked if I wanted to take one of her participants. And I just, cheekily said oh do you know i came for a job with you about four years ago and you said that you know i wouldn't stay and she goes you've proved me right and i was trying to get a snide remark in and she was like (laughs) you've proven me right (laughs) that's fantastic that's fantastic
1: no i just love that so much i just so appreciate you sharing that story i mean that's precisely how i feel about this Very long period of depression and then suicidal ideation, and then the suicidal experience that I had um, myself was that, you know, the whole time I was really wanting deeply to know my purpose. And as much as I wanted to become a professional basketball player, when I got pneumonia my senior year in high school, I was devastated. Yeah. You know, college scholarship opportunities went away. And, I didn't know who I was or what my life was for. And I thought it was the worst thing that could possibly happen. And now I look back and I think that was the best thing that could possibly happen. I'm so much happier now doing the work that I do now than I would have ever been, yes. you know, playing the NBA. I mean, I don't I wouldn't have minded the money. <laughs> don't take the money, right? But I have to say to your point, um, sometimes, if not always, life has bigger, better plan for you than you have for yourself.
0: And look, with the fibromyalgia as well, I know some people really suffer from it. I I did suffer from it. I made a conscious decision that I was told I was either going to be in bed for the rest of my life or be in a wheelchair, and that wasn't my life. And so when I started getting better from fibromyalgia, I went and did a diploma in counselling, then I did a degree in counselling, because it actually opened up an opportunity where before I was working, say, 7am till 7.30pm, five days a week go out on the weekends, never have a break. And when I was sick and I could only go back part-time, it was like, well, I've always wanted to do counselling. Why don't I try the diploma? And then I went on and went on. And before I knew it, it was like, well, I've actually changed my whole direction in life because all these things I've wanted to do. So for me, even though it's not always a blessing, fibromyalgia gave me that time to have time out and to reassess what I wanted to do. I love that so much. You just uh, can't express
1: how much I love it. There's a great Elizabeth Kubler-Ross quote that speaks to that. And she says something like, beautiful people don't just happen. The most beautiful people we know are people who have developed this incredible appreciation for life. They've got this deep sensitivity to life and to others and to themselves that they've developed by experiencing trials and tragedies and travesties. And they've somehow found their way out of the depths, right? And it's because of those experiences that they are just so beautiful. And you're one of those people without question. It's like you have have serious sort of adversities, but when I look at you and I see how big your heart is and I see the light and the love that comes out of you consistently just in this few minutes here, let alone, you know, what you do with your work all day, every day, it's pretty profound and it's really beautiful and powerful.
0: Okay, I couldn't speak in that bit because that will be my advert for the podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough, yes.
0: So let's go through a few chapters of your book, Happiness from the Inside Out. So how do you explain authentic happiness? What is authentic yeah. happiness? Because people will say I'm happy, um, and I think I'm a bit like you, that most days I feel pretty happy. There's external things going on in my life, uh, but I learned to stay here and be happy and still deal with those things. So what's authentic yeah. happiness? Beautiful way of
1: putting it. So yes, so... Our true nature is happiness, okay? So when we're being our true self, we can define that in a number of ways, but the true self, we're happy and we're happiness already, okay? So that's one way of talking about it. The other way of talking about it is from the other end or side of the coin, which is that we can't manufacture or synthesize happiness from the conditions and circumstances of our lives, no matter how hard we try, okay? So most of us try to extract happiness from other people, places, things, activities, conditions, and circumstances. And that does not work, at least not for very long. And when it does work, it only works very temporarily. And the happiness that we experience, we attribute to the other person or place or thing or activity or condition or circumstance. But the truth is that happiness is coming from us. Yeah. It's coming from us. Finally, we've come to a place where we achieved or acquired or accomplished what we wanted to achieve, accomplish or acquire. And our mind is finally let go of this commitment to suffering that we call desire. You know, this commitment to suffering that we often call a dream or that we call goal. And so when the mind is let go of that, we feel this relief and we feel this pleasure. Well, that relief and pleasure is coming from you. And it's you getting a taste of your true nature, which is peace, love, and happiness. And so authentic happiness is not the kind of happiness that we fake. It's not also not the kind of happiness that we try to manufacture um, through other people, places, or things, that we try to route through other people, places, or things. It's the happiness that comes flowing uh, freely up from within the depths of who you are when you let go of everything that's blocking or getting in the way.
0: Yeah. And, look, something that uh, struck a chord with me when I was reading your book was about we shouldn't put the happiness into others. Like our happiness shouldn't be reliant on how other people treat us or And I went through in my head and thought about a couple of relationships I'd had. And I thought, you know, when I was getting into the relationship, I was so happy. When when the relationship first started, so happy. Then the relationship starts carrying on. I'm sort of happy. I'm not as happy as what I was. And then to get to the end, really, I realized that my happiness came from me. And so I stayed single. And I'm happy. And maybe we're not all meant to be paired up with people, and that's okay. I have a great group of friends and family around me, and I don't feel like I need something else from anyone else because I feel like my happiness is created within me.
1: Oh, uh, We are soul siblings here, aren't we, my <laughs> friend? I mean, it's incredible because that's, that's the way I feel too. I love you know I love being in relationships, and I also really love being single. There's a meme somewhere out there. You've probably seen it. It says something like, Oh, I hate being single. I only get to do what I want, when I want, no matter what, anytime I want, you know, kind of thing. It's like, yes, absolutely. And there is so much, wow, to what you said there. It's, we could unpack that for days or for weeks. A lot of the science supports what you said without question. In fact, supports all of what you said, which is that most people, you know, get into relationships because they think relationships will make them happy or happier. Yeah. And what we put based on science is that when you get into a relationship, if you get married, you experience a small increase or bump in your happiness during that little honeymoon phase, the first few months, maybe a year or two, and then you quickly return to your baseline level of happiness. After that, and then for lots of people, they dip way below that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: right. So clearly, I think most of us have been disabused, and you and I have, of this notion that other people can or will or do make us happy. Clearly, that's not the case. I mean, other people are great and we love them, but they're really horribly unreliable sources of peace, love, and joy.
0: Well, look, when my dad was still here, he passed uh, a year and a half ago, but he would say to me, you know, I just want to see you in a relationship so that, you know, I know that you're going to be okay when I'm gone. And I go, what are you talking about? If you go, I've still got mum, I've got my sister, I've got all my friends, I don't need a relationship to, you know, make me happy. And he's like, no, but, you know, it'll be someone to, you know, go through into your old age with. And I go, well, if I'm on my own in my old age, that doesn't matter, I'm happy. So, you know, would I rather be happier on my own or sad being with someone else? Not that all relationships make you sad. I want people to realise that. And I don't feel that. I just haven't met the right person, I think, that I guess, I feel like, well, I will give up my being single. And there is a lot more research coming out now, isn't there, about single people and that they are happier and it's not necessarily a marriage that makes people happier. The more money from a combined income can make you happier because you've got more money to play with. But in actual fact, people who are on their own are usually stronger, more resilient, able to cope with any condition that comes to them because they've had to deal with it.
1: That's right. I think we can see evidence for this, both to your point in modern day science, but also in ancient wisdom, right? So even Buddha said, better to walk alone than with unhappy company, right? Or called unloving company. Yeah. The one thing I know for sure is that if you're going to be in a relationship, the most important thing you can do is choose someone who's as happy or happier than you. <laughs> and the reason <laughs> is, right? Because the happiest person doesn't, unfortunately, pull the least happy person up it works the other way. The least happy person pulls the happiest person down in terms of happiness, right? So happiness shared is not just happiness added, it's happiness multiplied. But likewise, misery shared is not just misery added or misery divided, it's misery multiplied, yeah. right? So, you know, the most important thing you can do or take from that is that the happiest relationships consist of two independently happy individuals that who don't blame or give credit to the other person for making them happy, right? They take full responsibility for their own happiness. They each do that. And so then you get a relationship that is authentic and is not one that's full of projection.
0: All right. How do we focus on the positive? I mean, I was asked years ago, why are you always so positive? And I said, well, because... I guess when I see what you worry about, you worry about the tiniest things over and over again, and it could be 20 things that you're worried about, and those little things I'm able to just let go and go, look, they're nothing I need to worry about. And I know it's hard for some people to let go of things and, and there's more emotional attachment to those things. I guess I've been lucky enough to be able to just let them go. And also I think when I did my counselling diploma, it just changed my whole perspective of life because I was someone who always thought in black and white, it's this or that, yes or no. And then I went to a a psychologist who helped me with a couple of my subjects, and she said, you know, inside that black and white, how many shades of grey in there? And I go, oh, yeah. And she goes, so if you look at everything, there's so many opportunities in yes and no, right and left. You know, there's lots of things you can look at rather than just going no or yes.
1: You just nailed it. I just love that so much. And you're right. It's um, really helpful to know the thinking errors that exist, right? All kinds of thinking errors. That we all fall victim to you know catastrophic thinking overgeneralization, black and white thinking you know and there are cognitive distortions that go with a lot of those negativity bias confirmation bias um you know behavioral confirmation all these things you know the brain is wired for survival not necessarily happiness but if you survive the chance of being happy at least in these bodies goes up dramatically yeah, yeah, yeah. Significantly, right it's important to be positive and sometimes i think for some people I will use the word constructive. You know, that constructive thinking is helpful. Yeah. Um, I remember the beginning kind of having a knee-jerk reaction against this word positivity because I thought, well, if it's true, I want to be realistic. And if things are true, then I should focus on things because they're true, even if it's not positive. And then you realize pretty quickly that, first of all, to your point, truth is relative. The other person is right from their perspective. You're probably right from your perspective. And then there's probably 55,000 or 8 billion in this case, different perspectives of that same experience. So circumspection is a superpower in some ways, but then you go further than that and you realize, well, what's the point or purpose, not only of this life, but of any particular experience in this life. So why do I want to be in a relationship? Why do I want the money? It's because I want to feel good. I'm ultimately after a feeling. Yeah. And right. So if you're clear about that, that even truth ultimately serves the purpose, ideally of enhancing or increasing your happiness or your good feelings, then you can sort of take a beeline right to the better feelings, right to happiness, instead of rounding it through needing to be right, the relationship, making more money, being successful. And when you do that, you find that it's so much easier to be, quote unquote, positive because now you don't focus on something only because it's true. You focus on something because it's true and constructive, meaning that it helps you or supports you in you feeling what you most want to feel or achieving or experiencing what you most want to achieve and experience. Right. So instead of, for instance, saying it's raining, okay, we call that truth. But then what people usually do is they add a level of judgment on top of that or storytelling or meaning making. They say it's a bad day because it's raining. Right. But the positive or constructive way of saying it is, look, okay, you can admit that it's raining. But boy, do I love sunny days. I just love sunny days. I'm really looking forward to sunny days and these rainy days make me appreciate those sunny days so much more what am I going to do on my sunny day I start planning for it right so all of a sudden this quote-unquote positive or constructive way of thinking supports you in feeling what you want to feel so that you can achieve or experience everything else you want to achieve and experience
0: wow I absolutely love that and I wouldn't have thought that you could have got a positive outcome out of a shitty rainy day but (laughs) make it that you think about sunnier days and what you could do on those days what a great way to turn it to a positive
1: Yes, I've had lots of practice. (laughs) I think (laughs) we both have. We both have. And I've tried it the other way and it didn't go well. So, yeah, I'm committed (laughs) to this new way.
0: That's amazing. I love that. Um, look, and you were talking about some of the unhelpful thinking styles, catastrophic thinking. I mean, that's something that I, I guess I can't remember ever thinking that way. But recently I've had a couple of people, a, a guy in the UK who I'm doing some counselling, mentoring to, and I was talking to him and he's just like, oh, you know, if this happens, this is going to happen. and that, blah, blah. And after about half an hour, I went, look, mate, let me tell you two things. One, I think you think catastrophically. So everything is the worst it can ever be. And then the other thing was you want everything to be perfect. So there was perfectionism and catastrophic thinking. I go, so look, what I want you to do is just go away and have a look at those online. And then we'll come back in a couple of days and tell me what you think. So he rang me the next day and he goes, oh my God, you've just, explained everything to me. I Googled catastrophic thinking. It's exactly what I do. Perfectionism. It's exactly what I do. How do we work on that? And I go, okay, so let's work out how we're going to work on that. He couldn't believe that just in one conversation, I got those two things. And he said, oh, look, my wife is always saying, I always think of the worst things to happen. I'm never positive about things. It's always going to be doom and gloom. And I go, look, just having that half an hour, 40 minute conversation with you, I picked up those two things. And He's like, well, how did you do that? And I go, well, because I've learned about it and I've trained in it and I've, I've worked with people with it. So when you hear these things, you immediately go, okay, this and okay, that. And, I mean, I guess for us it is easier because we have learned this, so we know all these different styles. But it's amazing. When I first trained, when I first qualified, I found that I could never switch off my analytical mind. So I'm having conversations with people going, no, that's not right. No, you don't mean that. Yes, that sounds good. No, that's not right. And after a while I just went, look, you've got to stop this because, yes, you can do it, but otherwise where do you get your downtime because all you're doing is analysing every conversation you have. And my mum actually said to me one day, are you analysing me? And I go, no, I'm not today. And she goes, oh, good, because we're worried that you're analysing us all the time. (laughs) 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 Oh, I've heard that before.
1: I've heard that before. You know, when I would go on dates, they would always say, are you creating a profile? Are you profiling me? Are you creating a little, you have a little file on me and you're analyzing me? And I would always say, no, trust me, I'm so lost in my own thoughts about everything that I have no time (laughs) to analyze anybody else, right? It can become an addiction. Thinking, overthinking can become an addiction. And any of these thinking errors can become their own addiction. And you're absolutely right about catastrophic thinking, uh, especially that was true for me. For sure, I call victim to sort of probably all the thinking errors. I know I did. And, um, you know, what I discovered to your point, first of all, awareness or education is everything. Yep. The second thing I discovered was that I could use um, even the catastrophic thinking to my benefit and advantage because what I realized is that if I played it all the way out, no matter what I played all the way out, yeah. The end result was always the same, which was death. Okay. Yeah. So I knew that if I could make peace with death, that I would then be able to make peace with anything else that happened leading up to death, essentially, yeah. right? Yeah. So as I worked on that, I began to discover how useful it is to think catastrophically if you can do so constructively, right? Yeah. You've got to find a way to make peace with the worst-case scenario. So that was pretty helpful for me. I think it was Buddha also said something like. Your only problem is that you think there is time, right? So that's both literally and figuratively true. In other words, most of us assume that we have another day or another hour another five minutes. Who knows? You might not. So you better live now. That's the first thing. If you're living in your head, you're not really living. Um, The second way to think about it is that not only do we only have the present moment, um, but, you know, and this is a little more abstract and esoteric, but time doesn't really exist. Like the past is memory. The future is fantasy, only the present moment is real. And in the present moment sort of exists out of time. It's not part of time, it's out of time. But that's a little more abstract and esoteric. The point is, you know, we can use or find ways to be more constructive in our thinking.
0: Yeah, uh, look, I love that. That's beautiful what you just said. And I think with a lot of people who have some sort of anxiety, you know, learning to stay in the present moment, and even though you've got these things coming up, realize that they are still some way away. We don't have to put all our focus onto something that's happening in a month's time. We can break it down over that month and do a little bit each day. Going with the catastrophic thinking, if you are able to go look at it from A to B and then open it up, like we were saying with opportunities like you do, then you can see that there are other steps in there. I guess it's hard for some people to see that, but I guess with learning you could you could work through that.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think the acknowledgement for me is that life in reality is often, almost always, sweeter than my thoughts about it. Okay. Another way of saying that is almost everything is worse in your head. So many things have happened to me in my life, and I know so many things have happened to you in your life. A good example is, well, I got pneumonia. My the scholarships went away and I didn't get to talk, achieve or accomplish or even go for this dream that I had of being a professional basketball player. Okay. That was one thing. Yeah. Another point in time I lost a job and I had to basically turn in my two really beautiful German cars and I had to swap them for a scooter and around around a little scooter. And, uh, I was always scared of that. I was always scared of being sort of without money or very little money and not having a job and, you know, the embarrassment, and I found I was so much happier without this miserable job that was weighing me down, seeming to make me miserable. And I was so much happier with my little scooter. I was living on the beach now. I was living in a tiny little studio, but it was much easier to maintain. So anyway, life in reality is often sweeter than our thoughts about it. And the worst thing that can often happen to us both on our deathbed and in life is just a belief. So it's important to get out of your head and get back into the present moment as much as possible, stick to the facts, worst case scenario, stick to the facts. What's happening right now, this red hot moment, what's happening right now in your body and in your mind? If you can just notice that and accept that,
0: everything else uh, comes and goes. And look, I also like in your book how you say that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're poor or mega rich, we can still find happiness because I think a lot of people out there are all presuming that once you've got that money, once you've got those three houses, once you've got that Mercedes, once you've got to the top of the business you're you're running, you're going to be happy. But it's not always the case, is it? Because with getting to these upper echelons, you're actually then you've got more things behind you. And I guess in some ways, perfectionism comes in as well then because you have to keep creating more and more. That's right. We call that
1: the hedonic treadmill, as you know. It's it's hedonic adaptation. It's the rat race, okay? And the thing about winning a rat race is that even if you win, you're still a rat (laughs) and you (laughs) got to run faster, you know? It reminds me of that Alice in Wonderland quote, which is uh, something like, you know, well, here, Alice, um, you have to run as fast as humanly possible just to keep up. And if you want to do better than that, you have to run twice as fast, you know, twice, basically more, you have to run faster than humanly possible. And that's often the way we live our lives in a sort of very grass is greener kind of way. And of course, the grass is greener, especially if you're peeing in your own lawn kind of thing. You know, if you're not really focusing on what you have and you're not trying to be grateful for what you have, but instead you're focusing on everything that you don't have and you want all these things simply because you don't have them. That's a recipe for unhappiness. And so, no, no matter what you achieve, accomplish or acquire, in addition to what you already have, you're not going to find yourself happier. You're going to actually probably in lots of cases find yourself less and less happy, more and more depressed. You know, you can never really get enough of something you truly don't need.
0: Yeah. I've spoken a few times on the podcast with people and they've said, so why are you happy? And I said, because I'm content with what I have. I don't have a huge salary. I don't have a huge house. I don't have the best car, but I'm happy with where I am and I'm proud of where I've got to. And Someone else said to me, well, why are you proud of yourself? And I said, well, because I I love my job. I have good friends. I love doing the podcast. I love where I am in life at the moment. And they said, oh, I don't know if I could be proud. And I'm like, but you should be proud of everything that you've achieved, whether it's big or small or bad or good. Some of the things that have happened in my life that have been really bad or or tragic, uh, at the time you feel like you can't move on from that. And sometimes if it's a death, you feel like, oh, it's too soon to move on. But we have to renegotiate in our head what's happened. And we have to realize that if we stay there in doom and gloom for five months, six months, two years, ten years, where does it get us to? Because then in those 10 years, we've still got to go, okay, well, I have a life to live and I still have to live it. We can move through these things. It's not always easy, but we can find a way. It's looking for those opportunities to grow and move out of those things. And to also see your life as happy. I mean, I wake up, feeling happy even though i've got some illness but i still go okay what can i do today the worst days for me is when i've got a day off because i don't have anything (laughs) (laughs) planned
1: you you nailed it. that's why my mom says she doesn't like to sit still and i was oh i just wanted to rest sometime and relax sometimes she's like oh honey i don't want to do that i'd like to stay busy if i stay busy then i don't get caught up in all the thoughts and crazy ideas in my own head which make me so unhappy right you know and it makes sense and that's true and you nailed it too i love what you said there which is like What you appreciate, appreciates. So what you appreciate increases in value. And we know that that's true, that if you can find a way to appreciate and feel truly grateful for what you have, not in a moralistic way, but in a way that you genuinely feel happy with it, you're content with it, you're enjoying it, it tends to grow. You know, you tend to manifest more and more money or opportunities or relationships in time. And it sounds kind of counterintuitive almost, right? It's like, well, how can my wealth increase or my relationships improve if I'm constantly looking for things about that relationship now or the, or the lack of relationship now or the little bit of money I have now to appreciate how can that possibly work but it does when you feel better you do better and life goes better and it's such an important thing to remember if you can just find a way to feel better you'd be surprised at how life improves itself and you will even improve yourself without the time energy and effort that you're accustomed to
0: Look, I I spoke to a guy in the podcast in the last season and he just started up this new business called Mind Muscle Pro, which was about... Uh, people who had uh, mental health issues to look for something physical that they could do, and it might be aerobics, it might be uh, walking, because he said at 14 all he thought about was suicide because he hated his life. A friend said, come to the gym, and he said, and then I started liking the gym, and rather than keep being pushed with medication, I was finding a natural release, he said, and so that's where we work, which is slightly different. And I, I like people who think outside of the box of just sitting inside a psychologist or counselor's office office, because there's so many people out there that they don't fit into that box. And I don't know why we haven't thought about this earlier, but a guy during COVID said to me, oh, you know, I, I didn't know how to run my counselling business because I couldn't have anyone in my, in my studio. And then he realised that he could take them on a walk. So he'd go on hour walks with them and do his counselling outside. He said the only drawback from that was after a six hour day of walking for six hours, he was absolutely knackered. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> i bet i bet You're worn out yeah yeah it's so true there's a quote i'm um, i love and uh, you'll appreciate this being in the psychology space you know um psychology is fantastic it's a great tool yeah um, but so, psychology also uh, sometimes is the disease itself for which it pretends to be the cure So in other words, you know, it's great. We want to go into the past. We want to heal stuff if we can and resolve those unresolved issues. But also, you can spend so much time beating the drum of what's gone wrong in your life and what's going wrong in your life now that you won't find solutions. You know, so it's a bit of a challenge to your point. Um, Psychology and therapy isn't right for everyone, although I would recommend it to everyone. You know, it's certainly a, a great tool. That being said, there are lots of great tools out there, and you'll find that if you sort of dive into the essence of any of them sort of deeply enough, there's a finite number of tools and things that actually work. And they tend to be pretty much the same kinds of tools. So we might call it meditation over here and prayer over here. And we call it unconditional regard here in the psychologist's office. And we talk about, you know, talk therapy here, but there's a lot of of options that are available to people and you'll find that if you dive deep enough into any of them you kind of come up with the same
0: solutions you do and, and you find something that actually fits you because not always will sitting in an office be the way that you want to talk about your life look rob brilliant absolutely brilliant i've loved speaking to you your books are happiness from the inside out love from the inside out i've actually ordered love from the inside out as a paperback but i haven't got it yet so I, we couldn't talk about that one today <laughs> But um, look, so many great points. Go on.
1: No, I just appreciate you so much. You don't know, Daniel, you really do radiate such beautiful, brilliant love and light. And you're full of so much wisdom. And this happiness that just comes through you is so contagious. Um, So I'm so grateful and I feel so honored to be in conversation with
0: you. Ah, look, you know... um, Thank you so much for that. Uh, I'm not one to take compliments very often.
1: (laughs) I've noticed. I've noticed. I keep feeding
0: to you. (laughs) But as I said, anyone who wants to read this book, it's an easy read. You'll love it. You'll get so much out of it. I think it was, what, 250 pages, maybe 300 pages? Uh, That was on my iPhone that I read that. So um, not that I read it was that many pages. That's how many pages I read. Um, And I think everybody should read it and get something out of it. It's a really great book. It's really easy to, to see what things are going I I did find in a few chapters, I was like, well, I do that anyway. And then I thought, well, that's actually good because if you're doing it already, it shows that he's telling you what you should be doing.
1: Yes, Daniel, you make such a great point there, which is that, and that was the intention with writing the book too, is that most of us are already overwhelmed with too much to do. Okay. With too much to do. And I think simple is profound and the most profound things are the simplest things. And so it's important to remember that Lots of the stuff we already know, it's just about applying it and applying it consistently and applying it enjoyably if possible. And so if nothing else, the book is encouragement and inspiration to do that. And I think to your point, too, lots of folks will find new things there. Um, but it won't be
0: overwhelming. It's an easy read and hopefully an enjoyable one. And look, there's a few aha moments in it where either you go, oh, yes, I already do that. Or you think, why didn't I think of that in the first place? You know, so it's really good. I'll put the uh, links to your um, to your books on uh, the show notes, and I'll also put your website on the show notes. Uh, I'll also put your Instagram handle because that's where I found you. and It's really good Instagram. I find a lot of people on there, and I like it when you do those little, uh, I don't know, like... 30 seconds, a minute, positive update. It's really good and it, it gets you through the day. Oh, I
1: so appreciate that. You know, it's taken so much encouragement from friends and family for me to do that because I just, I've, you know, like this kind of conversations I just love, but I don't necessarily love hearing myself talk. I'm kind of more of a, I'll read stuff and I'll just find things that other people say is so interesting. And so I'm a listener. Um, but I had friends and family say, Rob, you know, you should just share that on Instagram or something. And I was, oh, gosh, I don't want to do it. I just feel so narcissistic doing that, you know, and then after a period of time, I started doing it. So thank you for the validation and for the encouragement
0: and the kindness and support there, um, because it keeps me going. Ah, look, uh, we need you to keep going because there's not enough positive happiness people in the in the world, and if that's what you're creating, that's what we need more of. And it was it was so brilliant to talk to you, so insightful, so just so many things popped into my head as we were talking, which you regenerated that I'd forgotten about. So it's just brilliant.
1: Oh, that feeling is mutual. It takes light to recognize light, my friend, and uh, you are truly a gift. It's amazing how when you connect with someone at soul level how much inspiration just comes through that you either forgot about or this brand new that just resonates with you at such a deep level.
0: So hopefully that's the experience that your audience will have. And I know that's the experience that I had. So thank you. Oh, look, thank you so much. I'm sure they will. And, uh, you know, you you should follow, uh, Rob on Instagram, Rob Mac, and you should definitely read his books. If you only read the first one happiness from the inside out, you'll definitely change your life around. Thank you so much, Rob. Lovely to speak to you. Thank you. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you liked it, please share it with your friends and share on social media and subscribe. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram and watch live conversations on Wednesdays and get daily updates. You can also follow the YouTube channel and watch live conversations and listen to the podcast from there. Keep sending in your emails and messages as I love reading them and interacting with you and I'll always respond to you. So until next week...